It takes more than understanding recursion to understand recursion to understand recursion to understand recursion to stack overflow <laughs> to be a great software engineer. This is episode 175 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. There was no base case. Soft Skills Engineering <laughs> is a weekly advice show where we answer all of your non-technical questions about the technical field of software development. I'm restarting my machine after that stack overflow. Give me a minute. Is that the only way to recover? <laughs> <laughs> Every time you forget a base case, it's like instead of a fairy loses its wings, somewhere a VM in the cloud restarts. That's right. <laughs> just some random. <laughs> some Docker container just died. Yeah. Quantum computing is already at work, I guess. There's spooky action at a distance going on. Okay, let's talk about our wonderful patrons. This week, we'd like to thank the following who are contributing at the level to get some a shout out every week on Patreon. They are Matthew Voidovich, The Agile Ventures Charity, Ted Nugent, Crash Bandicoot, Zach Grannon, This Engineer Goes Up to 11X, Luis Santos, Nick Cantar, Vinlock, Taras Karuk, Sean, Sunnytie, Dimitri Jensen, Brittany Ellick, Florian Tatzel, Sonic the Hedgehog, Ivo Robotnik, Murray Rossau, Chris Hogan, and Stanley Tactical Radio. If you'd like to support the show, go to softskills.audio and click support us on Patreon. Thank you so much. You help keep the show running. We love it. We have a comment from a listener. So this is a follow-up to episode 154 from a few months ago about how soon is too soon to quit your job. You answered my question a few months ago about how soon is too soon to quit a new job. I just wanted to give an update on how the situation turned out. I ended up using Jameson's favorite method of problem solving, a.k.a. do nothing and hope the problem goes away. (laughs) And it worked. That's great. Oh, I'm so glad I have a brand. (laughs) The ostrich method. Two months after I submitted the question, I was laid off along with the entire engineering team. Wait, I thought they said it worked. Yeah, they didn't do anything. They wanted to quit and they didn't. And then they still didn't have a job there <laughs> they effectively quit without having to do anything about it yep i'm now at a new job that seems like a great fit by the way this is my second layoff this year and both have turned into raises <laughs> so i highly recommend that strategy to your listeners that feel like they are underpaid <laughs> oh boy what is wrong with this industry i don't know i mean i'll take it while it lasts i guess yeah. oh man <laughs> cool congratulations great job failing upward <laughs> to the top <laughs> I guess you're not failing. Your company is failing. And you're benefiting. Yeah, it's like if your car ejected you and above you, there was a softer, nicer, better car waiting. (laughs) I don't know. The better for it doesn't quite work. All right, should we read our questions? (laughs) Yeah, I'll read the first one. This comes from an anonymous listener who says, Hi, Dave and Jameson. Thanks for the awesome show. How should I conduct myself at software conferences when my dev community heroes are in the midst? I recently attended a conference where one of my developer heroes was in attendance, and I was really looking forward to meeting them. I couldn't muster up the courage to introduce myself. What do you do in these situations to break the ice and not come off as a creeper or a nuisance? It's a weird feeling to hear someone's voice on a podcast every week or to read their blog posts and feel like you are best friends with them while knowing that the other person has no idea who you are. (laughs) Am I overthinking this? Huh, what a good question. Just this whole idea of developer heroes is weird. I think every developer who is famous should be forced to pair program for like 30 minutes with every person that thinks that they're inhumanly perfect. (laughs) (laughs) You mean to like reset everyone's actual understanding? Yeah, or or publish their Google search history or like (laughs) publish their Jira log of tickets they've caught, I don't know, production issues they've caused or something (laughs) like Everyone's just a person. I don't know. But it's a thing. Some people have reputations as being really good at things or I don't know. 
I wish it wasn't so stratified because it feels like it makes the community less welcoming when they're the people that have tech celebrity. And this mm. makes me sad to hear that you feel like you can't approach people because I'm sure they want to be approached. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose. You hit on not coming on, off as a creep or a nuisance. That's pretty good. The less stalkery, the better. You probably shouldn't tell them you've been following them and collected a bunch of skin cells that they dropped. <laughs> you're going to give them back. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> I noticed some something flaked off of you. I think you probably wanted it. Here it is. <laughs> I could tell it was from you by the smell and the taste. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh, I think I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. Yeah, here, let me collect that for you. Oh, I gave it back to you. You don't have to worry about losing any of those valuable <laughs> stomach acid fluids. <laughs> oh. I don't think it has to be that complicated. Hold on. You're saying like any behavior that's less creepy than what you just described is you're good to go. No, <laughs> there, there's a wide <laughs> spectrum of stuff less creepy than that that is still creepy. I, I think all you have to do is is go up to them and say, hey, I really enjoy thing X that you do or write or whatever. I think people that have some following in the tech community are generally known for doing things publicly. Maybe they have some open source project or write prolifically or whatever like they're doing something that puts out a public thing and that's an automatic conversation starter you can say hey i really like this project that you maintain and use it a lot and people are generally pretty open to talking about stuff like that because they do it and they do it partially because they want to help other people so you have a built-in icebreaker you don't have to just go up and say like you're my hero like <laughs> just talk about the thing they do and and okay i don't think i qualify as dev famous but i i have like dev famous friends <laughs> and they're all very nice about it and they love it when people come up to them and say that they like the work that they do it's it's flattering right everybody loves to hear nice things about themselves ah, okay. you don't want to go too overboard but just say like hey the thing you do is great let's talk about it that's fantastic i can see why it's hard though conferences are tricky because there are often groups of people talking and if you are a single solitary person trying to approach a group and butt in that's real weird i still feel really awkward doing that all the time we've talked about this yeah. in another episode actually mm -hmm. and it can be hard to butt in and say like hey i just wanted to meet you really quick i don't know of any secret things to do besides just do it just sidle on up yeah so a conference i organized happened a couple weeks ago and the mc is a great person named michael chan he talked about on stage a trick he uses to get over these kind of social anxiety things where he just counts down from five, like he's jumping off a cliff or something, <laughs> which <laughs> okay. seems like maybe it could backfire, but he just he just kind of gives himself an artificial deadline to say five, four, three, two, one. Okay, I'm going to go in and say hi or whatever. Nice. I mean, people are generally at conferences to mingle and talk, and I think you want to be sensitive to their personal time, so don't knock on their hotel room <laughs> or whatever. Oh, gosh. But if they're, <laughs> if they're out and about, that's generally a signal that they want to talk to people. Yeah, not, not to mention, if they're at a conference, they're probably the kind of developer who welcomes social interactions like that. I mean, that's a pretty good signal. Yeah. I feel like in saying this, all I'm saying is it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it, which doesn't seem very helpful. <laughs> like <laughs> That might be helpful, though, to know that having had firsthand experience and secondhand experience with this and heard from these people that they're cool with it. I think that helps kind of reduce the anxiety a little bit. I think also you're pointing out there's not like some special secret handshake you have to do to be able to approach these people successfully. I don't think so. I'm trying to think if I've ever had anything backfire. I don't think I've ever had anything go horribly wrong. I think the, the most negative interaction I've had is I go up and say, hey, I really enjoy Thing X. And they're like, oh, cool. And, and just kind of go back to talking to whoever they were talking to, <laughs> yeah. which isn't bad. It's just, I don't know. 
they're just busy. It's a little awkward, though. It is uncomfortable, you have to admit. Yeah, but I think most of the time, that's either been because I interrupted a conversation that was already pretty deep. Okay. I think that's probably most of it. It wasn't like they were just super rude. But maybe, I don't know, maybe one or two of them were secretly huge jerks. Chose that moment to reveal it themselves. <laughs> I feel bad about the answer because it feels like I'm also saying like, I don't know, this is easy for me. Just do it. But it's not that easy for you, right? Yeah, but I know enough people that there's often some overlap already with the person I'm trying to introduce uh-huh. myself to. And also there's another dimension here, which is that I usually share a lot of cultural things with the person I'm trying to introduce myself to just from being white, from being male. That's kind of a common tech industry demographic. So I think if I were from a different background, it might also be a little bit harder to kind of break through just less shared cultural context. But I think the underlying thing is that these people are generally happy to talk and are there because they want to talk, like you said. So you're not going to bug anybody. Yeah, I think that's right. And it might also help if you can find someone that you both know to introduce you and say, hey, I'd like to get to know so-and-so. You know, and maybe you don't have this, but if you do, use it. Ask your shared acquaintance to introduce you sure the tech network is more connected i think than a lot of people realize you might actually know someone who knows them especially at conferences which are generally centered around some kind of community already yeah Uh, it's pretty rare that there's a conference that's just about all of technology all at once and you have like cobalt devs coming in (laughs) to talk with cold fusion devs coming in to talk with c devs coming in to talk with i'm trying to think of all the tech that starts with c c sharp i guess that's kind of cheating and cloudflare i don't know (laughs) Cloudflare devs. That would be an interesting conference. Oh, yeah. One based alphabetically. I love it. And you automatically have 26 years of content. You just say, (laughs) okay, we're starting at A. It's Adobe and... Amazon, Apple. Yeah, all of the A technology (laughs) this year. (laughs) Perfect. You could plan the launch of your startup strategically. So you're the only one at the U year or something. Yeah. Nice. I have an idea to share. And this comes from me getting a little bit older. I mean, definitely I'm on the older end of most developers these days. And and I say that from a statistical state of mind, not not from, you know, like any other. You're young at heart. Uh, yeah, for sure. You could still beat them on a foot yeah. race. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Maybe a foot race of the mind. <laughs> But what I have noticed is that when people achieve some degree of celebrity, who I knew when they were young, I think to myself, wait a minute, I knew that guy in high school. He's an idiot. (laughs) 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 And it just like, it really has shattered this notion of like immortal celebrity heroes for me. And I just think, I, you know, I know that guy's got a whole closet full of dumb things they've done. <laughs> they got all the same insecurities that I have. Yeah, It's just no problem. And I've just started to realize that these people are just not that special. That's not to say I don't want to say hello to them and take a selfie with them and get their autograph on my bicep. <laughs> but... It makes it easier for me. Another good thing about being older is if you, you've had more time to lift, so your biceps are bigger. <laughs> so there's more room. Your network That's is right. bigger, but there's also more room for autographs. <laughs> it kind of balances itself out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Okay. I remembered one other fear that I had. I guess I sometimes still have it, which is that I don't have anything to say to this person beyond I like your thing, where if they're an expert on, I don't know, I went to talk to Joe Armstrong, one of the inventors of Erlang, 
and he knows a lot of stuff about Erlang. And I have read maybe a blog post about it. <laughs> and part of the fear was I can't engage in a deep technical discussion about this domain he's an expert in with him. Yes. But I don't think I need to. Also, he was very, very nice. Uh, he's passed away a year or two ago, but very willing to talk to people of all experience levels. So I guess I kind of got lucky with him. But you don't need to have like a presentation prepared to show like <laughs> you are an expert on the thing that they do that you like. Like people True. are happy to talk for the most part to, to anybody of all experience levels. You don't have to prove yourself knowledgeable enough. That was a fear that I remember having. Yeah, it's true. And another fear I have is that I, I just won't have anything to talk about. And I think it helps to come armed with a few questions that you can have in mind that they will probably have interesting answers to. And just, just to kind of prime that pump for you as you're thinking about things you could ask, an obvious one is if, if they own a project that you use, maybe they're an open source celebrity, you can say, you know, hey, what you working on? You know, anything interesting happening on the project coming up soon? You know, stuff like that. And I think if you have a few of those questions ready to go to kind of paper over the lulls in the conversation or to bridge those lulls, I think it can help you feel more comfortable initiating the conversation. Sure. That's just a general soft skill, too, is the best way to have good conversations with other people is to ask them questions mm. because people like talking about themselves. Asking yeah. questions about themselves, it's flattering and it just gets stuff moving. Yeah, I've been meaning to ask, Jameson, what are you working on? Nothing. <laughs> I'm on paternity leave. <laughs> oh. This podcast and then back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. I have all kinds of things I'm working on and I will tell you after the show. Oh, great. Secret. Nice. <laughs> all right. Have we answered the question? I think so. Good luck and be confident. Get in there and say hello. Yeah. All right, I will read our next question. This is from a listener named Nathan. Recent new listener here, and I must say I love the show and to keep up the good work. Thank you, Nathan. My question can possibly be answered with a standard soft skills answer, but I have my reservations about quitting my job. I work at a consultancy doing work in a niche web development framework that interfaces with an old monolith ERP system that I'm just not excited about, but I'm very good at creating web applications in. I know eventually these skills will become obsolete, and I had a new job opportunity recently that I decided not to take. Am I being stupid? Should I stay in the niche and hope I can get a newer job in the future where they just accept that I can learn new tools? Ooh. Huh. Enterprise resource planning is just the most fun kind of resource planning. <laughs> it's scalable <laughs> and resilient. I mean, just to be clear, we're talking about Star Trek here, right? Like you're planning the resources for the enterprise. Ah, it's like where to put the shields. Yeah. Okay, that makes it sound a lot more enticing. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Have we ever defined ERP? I don't even know if I could. It's just everything. I'm not sure I could either. It's everything. Like what? Give an example. It's just like how the business works. It's sales. Okay, Wikipedia says category business management software that organizations use to collect, store, and manage and interpret data from the many business activities. So it's like you have your list of all the people that work at the company and accounting software tied into it and sales data and customer service and just everything all together in one giant software stack. And how many photon torpedo bays? Yeah. Where the shields are, who's been beamed up and down recently, <laughs> how many of the red shirts you've lost <laughs> that month, <laughs> what the recruiting pipeline is like. All that stuff. Month over month, red shirt loss rate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. There's a ton of these out there, and they're generally mega expensive and kind of... Crappy. <laughs> yeah, but still very vital to businesses. I don't know. I don't understand the world. 
in depth, but very niche. So yes. it's, it's okay. double niche. It's like this proprietary software stack for this specific business or set of businesses. I assume it's at a specific company because it's an old monolith ERP system. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a web framework on top of it used to build stuff. So niche, niche, niche. Yeah. Nicheception. I assume they're well paid because it's probably hard to find people that have that skill set already and are up to speed and able to crank out stuff in it. I wouldn't be so sure about that. (laughs) I mean, the first part. That they're well paid? Yeah. I mean, it it could be, but... My experience has been that sometimes with these super niche things, the employees actually are not that well paid. And it's because there literally is no market outside their company. And so there's no basis for comparison and no incentive to change or no incentive to pay them more because there's no outside pressure. There's basically no threat to quit, you know? Yeah. Especially when they hang their entire career on this one thing. So the question is basically how much should you keep specializing versus potentially taking a pay cut or having to at least learn a new tech stack? Yes. There's just a trade-off in tech between future risk and current reward. I would say if you're not being well-paid, then you should quit. <laughs> like if if you don't have to take a big pay cut, I would not stick around unless I just absolutely loved it. I mean, I guess Nathan said that he enjoys it and feels productive. That's that's valuable. But yeah, being well-paid in, in the niche, I think, is, is maybe one of the strongest things keeping you in that niche. But you mm-hmm. have to look at the future risk of that niche going away or the company switching to some news or I don't know. You're just kind of betting a little bit on on being able to continue there. And the longer you stick around there, the more your skills in other areas kind of lag behind and yes. the harder it's going to be to switch. So you're you're kind of making a bet. And I feel like there's a lot of different ways to navigate that probability space. But you should at least be aware that it's a trade-off of, I am betting that the value of me staying here and earning more money than I could outside is going to pay off long-term versus taking a potential pay cut, but maybe long-term having more stability or or more pay. Yeah, good observations. I'm tempted to share my cautionary tale from a friend of mine who spent 10 years becoming an expert on PeopleSoft. And I think we've talked about this person before. I know. (laughs) Wait, why do you shudder? (laughs) It just sounds bad. I don't know. I think it sounds exactly like this situation, right? Niche ERP system. It sounds like the UI to a machine that produces Soylent or something. (laughs) So, I mean, this person spent about 10 years in that role, and then suddenly that role disappeared one day. And he found himself pretty much unable to get a replacement job. And And it's been years this way, just struggling. And I think that's kind of the worst case scenario when you get specialization in an area that's not marketable. I don't know how much detail you're comfortable sharing on this show. Did he ever get another job? No, I think he I think he left the tech industry. Just left the industry. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's probably some way to hedge your risk a little bit. If you're going to stay in this niche, you should at least be doing something that publicly demonstrates you either have skills in newer tech stacks or you can learn them. Yeah. So it's maybe the cost of of specializing so much. I mean, you don't have to, but if you want to make it easier to jump out, then you can invest some effort into that right now. So maybe side projects, all, all the classic stuff, open source, writing, all kinds of things that demonstrate that you can and have learned new things and you're not just a people soft or salesforce or whatever they said niche so i'm assuming it's not people software is pretty big yeah but i think the same thing applies so i've never been a farmer but i'm going to do the programmer thing where i make analogies <laughs> to industries that i have only cursory knowledge about it feels like farming and this is a proud tradition we do this with military bridge building every field of engineering besides software engineering <laughs> 
Yeah, so it feels like farming where you're you're cultivating this crop and it's going really well, but the market for that crop could just fall out. Like maybe you're growing tulips in the Netherlands in the 1600s and it's looking great. <laughs> and then the tulip craze dies out and you're left with this field full of useless, stupid bulbs. <laughs> so you can plant some other crops and have those going or I'm going to strain the metaphor to death. All right. You're just betting on what the market will value, I guess. Yeah. And and there's also this looming external catastrophe, like the weather could just ruin your day or a meteor yeah. could hit or, you know, standard farm stuff. Um, <laughs> the, me the meteor farm strike. I mean, oh. Yeah. If I had a nickel for every one of those. Oh, shoot. Another meteor just <laughs> nailed all my potatoes. <laughs> I mean, the Netherlands analogy, you know, if you're growing tulips in the 1600s, the obvious right hedge is to interleave the tulip rows with marijuana plants. Ah. I mean, it's the Netherlands. Was that a big deal in the Netherlands? In the no, but it is now. I'm, I'm just looking 400 years in the future from the 1600s. You know what? You, you needed to plant Bitcoin because... Um, <laughs> <laughs> the price of Bitcoin in the 1600s was just vanishingly small. <laughs> you would make a killing if you had a good Bitcoin crop back then. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't, but your descendants would. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. But then there's, okay, if we want to strain the analogy even further or the metaphor further. Yeah, why not? You can't, why not? You can't. I'm assuming, again, I know as much about growing tulips as I do about growing marijuana. I'm, I'm assuming they're pretty different crops and you can't just intersperse them. Like they need different environments and soil types and watering schedules and all that stuff. Like there's some cost to, uh, it's going to make you less efficient at just cranking out those tulips. But that's why you hedge. That's a, I don't know, it's a thing you do. That's right. Investing, you you maybe put some money into lower risk funds that's less likely to have a huge return, but also less likely to crash if your high risk stuff crashes. Oh, so now we're venturing into finance. Okay, another another area. We already have, right? Tulips and Bitcoin and that's basically- <laughs> True finance <laughs> another area which i know just whatever i can glean from reading the front page of the newspaper every few weeks <laughs> finance i heard that's good <laughs> i'm gonna invest in finance <laughs> i heard it'll go up okay okay so Back to this, I'm going to make a bold statement about engineering careers, but I think in this day and age, specialization is the enemy of good longevity in your in your engineering career. And I don't mean that is 100% true of the, all the time, because certainly if you chose the right technology to specialize in for the right period of time, you're going to do great. But every technology has a sunset. I mean, there's just no such thing as like this perfectly marketable tech skill that lasts an entire career. And so I've always said that the best thing to invest in is your ability to learn new technologies. We've talked about this before. Yeah. And I would say in this case, like if you're coming up on like five years of working at this place, you're getting dangerously close to the point where hiring managers will look at your resume and say, can this person do anything besides this ERP special framework? Hmm. At the 10-year mark, you're gone, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, at that point, it's going to be very difficult. You're, you're just going to ride that ship into the ocean as it sinks. You're going to go down with the captain. <laughs> yeah. There's probably a wider discussion about specialization, but I feel like I just want to give advice that reflects what I did, which was never work in old legacy ERP with <laughs> niche web <laughs> development frameworks. Like, True. <laughs> well, it worked for me, so don't do that. But everyone should just have the career path that I have had. Right. There would be no operating systems. There would be no airplanes. 
<laughs> I think there might be some underlying principles you could learn at this job or in this tech stack that might be useful and maybe look out for those, but I haven't done it, so I don't know what they are. I mean, you mentioned all tech goes obsolete, but there's there's different half-lives to tech. I think we might have talked mm-hmm. about this too. Like networking concepts stick around quite a bit. And yep. Linux has been a good thing to know for a couple decades now. And I assume it'll oh, yeah. stick around for more. I mean, I mean the, the cutting edge of it changes all the time. So maybe there's something you could do there to invest in these core underlying technologies. I don't know. Maybe it's like a weird like VAX system running. It's <laughs> <This>, like... <laughs> I don't know, object code that you don't even know what the original language is in. Maybe yeah. there's nothing there. You never know. So so it sounds like your advice is it might be time to get out. I think so. I mean, I would say five years is when you really need to start looking. This is just based on me as a hiring manager and seeing lots of resumes. And at 10 years, I think that's the point where it's going to be really hard. Or at least it's going to be hard to get through submitting your resume to somewhere without having a contact. So it might not be impossible. You just might need to focus more on networking. But then again, if you're in this niche technology, maybe a lot of the people you know professionally are working that niche technology. Yeah, maybe. You might not have a good network. And I'll also tell you that what will happen, what I've seen here is that people with serious specialization that's not super marketable, they will then find jobs at companies that value general principles, skills that are like general principles. So it's like this person's good with data structures and algorithms, things like that. Not like this person's really good with this C-sharp persistence framework. You know, like those jobs will just be off the table for you. But there is a class of jobs. I don't want a job about uh, that seems really boring. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, I think about what's hot right now. So it's like every web dev job has the word react in the title, right? It's like, well, you got to know react to work here. Yeah. And that's, that's hot. Well, you're not going to have that. And so if all these jobs require react experience, then you're not going to qualify for them. But there are a bunch of companies and they tend to be at least some of them are the highest paying companies in the industry that value this generalist computer science skill because they know you're going to have to learn all their stuff anyway. That's all their internal tooling and things like these are the big tech companies, the fangs of the world, you know. And so like these might be the places you need to be looking at next because they might be more likely to take you on even though your skills aren't immediately transferable. Interesting. I'm not going to say you should quit now, but I think you should start planning for a future in which you'll need to move on by developing demonstrable skill and also i think the network part is a big deal because Mm -hmm. like the point you said about your resume looking weird is is gonna get stronger and stronger so you need to make your resume less and less percentage of the signal yeah you got to know somebody basically if you have 10 years of niche erp experience as as the last thing you did yep well have we answered the question i think so we gave the exact opposite answer that they asked for should i quit I didn't say you should quit. Should I stay in the niche and hope I can get a newer job in the future? Yeah, I think we answered. Okay. I think we don't have to have the same answer. That's fine. That's why there are two That's of right. us. <laughs> then the listener can pick which of us they deem more handsome. <laughs> Because that's how I choose who to listen to. Okay. <laughs> Great. All right. What should people do if they want their own questions answered? Go to softskills.audio and click ask a question where you can fill out a form. Thank you so much to everyone who has done that. The backlog is growing and we are just, we love it. We will eventually get to all of them. And if you want to support the show, you can click on that same website. Click support us on Patreon. Any amount of donation will get you access to our Slack community where you can chat with other listeners and have a great time. Lots of good laughs and good advice. And also, if you enjoy the show, please rate it on your podcasting app, whatever you listen on. We would love to have your rating. It helps other people find the show. Thank you. We'll catch you next week.